Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines, a brand new podcast from The Independent. I'm Ben Kelly and each episode we'll be speaking to our correspondents and other experts to better understand what is happening around us across the world of politics, culture, sport and more. This week we're turning to talk about a project from the US Independent called Polarised Voices from Across America. The purpose of this 52-week project is to feature discussions with Americans across all walks of life and political ideologies in every single state as we lead up to this crucial presidential election in November. I'm joined today by our reporter, Chris Riotta. Chris, you're very welcome. Hi, how's it going? I'm good. Uh, So you've been involved in writing this latest polarised piece. it's a really interesting one. You've spoken to this uh, lady from Connecticut called Marie Garofalo, and she is a former Trump supporter who is now supporting Joe Biden. What can you tell us about her? Yeah, Marie was a very interesting subject uh, for this project that we've been working on. Um, she comes from a pretty liberal family, but uh, the 61-year-old mother of four um, has been pretty uh, in line with the Republican Party throughout most of her life. So it was very interesting during the 2016 election. She told me she wasn't exactly this kind of politically motivated or inspired uh, person. She sort of um, wasn't really, you know, tuned into to politics and to the everyday ongoings of Washington, D.C. And so when she voted for Trump, it was sort of out of partial amusement Um, But she also felt that he really had something to say. And so after the election, her family made this decision collectively that they were going to keep her tuned in to Washington and to the Trump administration. And so her eyes really opened to what was going on, the agenda. And she found that she didn't really completely agree with uh, the administration and its focus on things like rolling back regulations on the environment um, and it's very uh, hardline stance against immigration, especially um, along the U.S.-Mexico border. So over the course of the years, she decided that she could not stand in line with, with the Republican Party and with Trump. And that's where she is today now. So she uh, has basically completely rejected any support that she previously had for Trump. And now she's planning on voting for Biden. When I voted for Donald Trump, I really was, you know, I've learned a lot since then about being an informed voter. I really just went with like a gut feeling about this Make America Great Again, and I was kind of like almost amused, but like this guy, you know, he's got something to say. It's different. 
and he's not a politician, but he's going to have great people around him. You'll see he's a good businessman. And I have to tell you, I'm not one of these people who soured on Donald Trump because of the coronavirus or the protests. Um, mm-hmm. It happened really early on. Um, so the change of heart was coming um, pretty quickly as soon as he pulled out of the Paris Accord. Um, that was when, you know, I said, uh-oh. It's kind of incredible. I mean, you know, she always voted Republican, but she doesn't, she sort of admits herself. She's never really thought about politics. She's never really sat down and, and looked at policy or decided on anything like that. It was more of a feeling. She says, I went with a gut feeling. I was sort of amused, but I also thought he had something to say. And she's clearly one of these people who Trump attracted on a very personal level. And they kind of thought, he speaks for me. He's he's sort of on my side. And they gave him a chance. Um, but she very quickly changed her mind, didn't she? Yeah. And, you know, in 2020, this is very much the type of voter that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are both trying to capture. Someone who's not necessarily loyal to one specific party, but rather they're just kind of voting on feelings. They're not necessarily engaged with the everyday uh, activities in Washington. At one point, she claimed that she wasn't politically polished. She was just an everyday sort of mom slash housewife slash person who lives here, she described herself as. And she said she has a lot of values. Um, that's sort of what helped Donald Trump win in these battleground states uh, that handed him the election in 2016. Again, it was a very, very small slice of the population that turned to Donald Trump. And many of these people, you know, were Republicans, but they also voted for Obama at one point. She um, voted for Obama in his second election. So she she wasn't necessarily loyal to one specific party, she just kind of was voting uh, on on feeling and on gut feelings. And so now, having been kind of tuned into what's going on and, and sort of realizing where she stands on the issues, she's made this change and she's now completely disdainful towards the president. And she kind of captures this this interesting voting block of former Republicans and independents who went to Trump in 2016, who are really having second thoughts in 2020. There's a really interesting word you use there, which is values. And I've read quite a lot about how people were attracted to Trump, not based on policy, but because of um, what he stood for, what he claimed to stand for, you know, be it American values or family values or all those kinds of things. Um, does it seem to you that in the years that have that have happened since that actually he's he sort of denigrated those values? He certainly, you know, we look at him, he thinks, you know, America's great again, but actually America's never been more uh, sort of looked on with pity around the world. Almost uh, people are embarrassed at what he's done to the office and the country. Um, so are those values back in play for voters like Marie? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. When I talked to Marie about what those values were, I wanted to get a sense of where she really stood as an American on some of these big issues. And she said, you know, as a voter, when it comes to values, she believes in these conservative constitutional values. So the conservative values that were kind of outlined in the Constitution she says that right now she doesn't see Trump um, enacting or, or following those sort of conservative values. 
She even goes into looking at the judicial system across the country and noticed how a lot of the judges that Trump has been putting into place really don't have any sort of judging experience. And so she's really at a at a almost at a loss for words, but she realizes that the Republican Party today is not enacting the conservative constitutional values that she hoped for. And when she looks at someone like Joe Biden, He's not necessarily someone that is straying from those conservative constitutional values, in her opinion, but really he's kind of following just a somewhat different lead as a Democrat. Um, so while she doesn't completely stand in line with all of his his values as a Democrat, she definitely stands in line with his rule of his his belief in the rule of law, something that she says that this current president does not follow. Um, and also his his kind of expertise as a as a as a statesman, um, she really she she values uh, as a voter. I do believe that the Constitution was written and it has meaning, and that's the value of the Republican, the, the true Republican Party that of Lincoln, that I think is is what I I believe in, and I I hope that the right Democratic candidate like Joe Biden will 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 follow that Constitution of ours. It's interesting because um, just on a personal note, I was in the U.S. last September and I was I was in Seattle, so I was on the other coast. And I met a guy who was a sort of diehard Republican. He'd voted for Trump, but he said, never again will I vote for Trump. And I said, oh, so you're going to vote for, you know, the Democrat this time. And he said, oh, no, no, well, I could only probably vote for Joe Biden. I couldn't vote for any of the other ones. Um, but Trump has embarrassed me so much. And I said, well, why did you vote for him in the first place? And he said, well, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. I thought he would rise to the challenge. And very quickly, I realized that he did not. That seems to be the same case here with Marie. And interesting, the guy that I spoke to kind of saw Biden as being the only person he could sort of stomach as a Democrat. Um, and potentially that's what's happening here with Marie also. Does that imply, in your view, Chris, that the Democrats have got it right with Biden. You know, I think that it's a really interesting debate that's been happening within the Democratic Party right now and, and over the course of this 2020 campaign trail about what is what is the face of the Democratic Party after Trump? Is it this old return to sort of the the old guard, the statesman like Joe Biden era of of very centrist Democratic politics? Or are we going to move into an era where folks like Bernie Sanders and AOC in the House and, and the squad, they kind of lead the Democratic Party into this very progressive future of, you know, a Green New Deal and sort of a very kind of uh, a, a large, robust plan to, to tackle everything from climate change to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and so now I think what, what folks have really seen ever since Joe Biden became the presumptive Democratic nominee is that while he is this this attractive uh, candidate for folks like Marie and and people who are kind of at the center uh, and independents and former Republicans in a way that perhaps Elizabeth Warren or perhaps Bernie Sanders wasn't as appealing, he's also willing to take on some of those progressive uh, policies and incorporate them into his platform now. When he, if he is elected, and when he does take the mantle at, at the resolute desk, we'll see whether he actually enacts those progressive policies. But I think just the fact that he's willing to woo those progressive voters, we'll see what kind of a vice president he selects, whether it's someone progressive, 
you know, or another kind of centrist folk to, to really pull in these centrist voters, or whether it's someone uh, like a Stacey Abrams who might attract a much more progressive wing of the party, he does seem to be kind of appealing to, to, to the entire base of the Democratic Party, um, which are folks of color, progressives, centrists. So he's casting a very large tent. We'll see if it works out. Uh, but it does seem like he certainly was able to, to in, in a once historically crowded and, and diverse, I think the most diverse field of presidential candidates in history, he did manage to, to become the presumptive nominee. So we'll see whether they got it right. And just to go back to when you discussed why Marie started to sort of fall out of, of love with Trump, as it were, um, on issues like the environment or judiciary and so on. It's interesting that she she sort of indicates that she was never really a big political person before voting for Trump, but that he attracted her nonetheless. Now, we know this was a huge part of Trump's base, wasn't it? That people who were sort of bored of Washington politics, they felt locked out. They weren't really that interested or engaged. Some of them hadn't voted for a long time. Um, when they came along for the ride with Trump, what I'm getting at is has Trump sort of politicized people like Marie, um, but against his own interests? They've they've come to the political forum and they've realized, hey, this guy is not the one. I think that's absolutely a large part of what happened with Marie. I think that it's in part because she was now paying attention and, and asking herself, really, am I comfortable with this? You know, I think Trump and his actions uh, and how in contrast, they were in in large part to traditional Republican uh, policies and um, you know traditional uh, a traditional Republican presidential agenda. Um, you know, we've seen everything like these massive tax cuts and um, which don't necessarily go towards the working class and, and the middle class. That's something that's completely apart from the the typical Republican presidential agenda. So I think. It, rather than just taking what what this president and his White House have said at face value, it was in large part her asking herself whether she was comfortable with these things, but also the, these conversations that she had with her family. You know, at one point she talks in the interview about how her husband is a gynecologist. Um, and so women's reproductive rights weren't really ever something that she was too politically tuned into and, and too focused on. Um, but Trump making this this issue of abortion and women's reproductive rights such a large part of his agenda and the fact that she was having conversations with her mostly liberal family and her uh, you know husband who is a gynecologist kind of woke her up to to the fact that she doesn't support uh, this total lockdown on on women's reproductive rights and access to women's reproductive care uh, that we've seen in many states under Trump. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Interesting thing about family is that she discusses having sort of fallen out with her family at the time, where certainly they took a different approach to Trump, um, which is something that happened all across the US, um, this was a huge divisive election that um, split families, split friends, co-workers, whatever you want to call it. And yet the really interesting thing with Marie's story is it's been the discussions with her family that have sort of brought them back onto the same page. They haven't remained apart. Um, they've sort of worked on her <laughs> over the years, as it were. Another facet of this is my entire family, my immediate family. My husband and my four children were aghast <laughs> that I voted for him. So I had voices in the other ear saying, how on earth could you have done this? And so it didn't happen recently. It happened, it evolved over time to the point where my husband would say to me, you want to read another article about the guy you voted for? So I started to become more informed about everything that was going on in the administration. This is really kind of a, a, a story that gave me a lot of hope, and that's why I think we decided to spotlight this, uh, this voter in Connecticut, because, you know, that's, that's sort of the whole goal of Polarized. It was to reignite these, these kind of once, once often had discussions at, at American, um, you know, uh, dinner tables across the country and in coffee shops. Uh, folks talked politics and had differing opinions. That's, that's, the, that's the beauty of America, a lot of people say. And that's kind of gone out the window. People are too afraid to have these conversations. And they're even afraid to have conversations like this with their family. So I think having Garofalo, the Garofalo family come together and decide, we're not just going to allow our mother to have this, you know, to vote for someone who we just totally don't agree with and who we believe she doesn't even agree with herself. She just needs to be a little bit more engaged and aware. Whether it works out or not in every single family is one thing. Whether they're able to change hearts and minds is one thing. Perhaps people don't, and perhaps people will stay exactly where they are, but at least we're having conversations about where we stand on issues and, and helping our loved ones open their eyes to things that are going on and, and really asking and having tense conversations about whether we as a family unit and whether we as individuals support these policies that are being carried out in our name and, and under our vote. Why can't we have meaningful discussions. I mean, my sister just recently had a discussion with someone who's a pro-Trump person. He went nuts on her. 
wouldn't hear anything. She said it got so uncomfortable. Just just listen to people. Don't ostracize them. I mean, if they, but ha- try and have discussions. Try and make lists of the. Tell me something that he's, you know, it, it, tell me something that's not his pocketbook, please, because you know every time I turn a page, it's he's killing my environment. <laughs> he's 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 putting judges into into office there that are all these conservatives, and it's it's terrifying what's happening. Do you think that? People like Marie, people who have been let down by Trump, I suppose. You might even say they, that they've sort of been hoodwinked by him into, into voting for him and supporting this whole campaign. Might they be used, weaponized by the Biden campaign? You know, could you see someone like this speaking at the, the DNC or appearing in adverts? People who are saying, I got it wrong. Let's not do this again. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting how... Republicans, former Republicans and independents have sort of mobilized under Trump to kind of create this voting block that perhaps didn't necessarily exist before 2015 or 2016. I think that's when we really saw a fracturing of the Republican Party. And the focus was always on the fracturing of the Democratic Party between Hillary and and Bernie Sanders. But I think really there was this enormous fracturing of kind of the old traditional, again, the conservative constitutional values uh, side wing of the Republican Party, and then this new sort of Trumpism wing of the Republican Party. Um, And certainly now I think that those voters are kind of left alone to their own devices under Trump, and they really don't have a tent to stand under. So they're kind of creating one under their own. I mean, you see things like the uh, Project Lincoln, which has been created by or the Lincoln Project, which has been created by a number of prominent, uh, you know, Republicans past and present, including, um, you know, the White House senior advisor, Kellyanne Conway's husband, a prominent Washington lawyer. Uh, And, you know, there's folks like Marie Garofalo, who's actually agreed to speak uh, on behalf of a new group called Republican Voters Against Trump. And so these are folks who voted for Trump or were former Republicans, and now they're kind of speaking out against Trump, which is actually how her and I got in contact with each other. So there are definitely, there's definitely this new mobilization and and organization um, among this group of Republicans. And you even see some of them on Capitol Hill who are starting to speak out against the president and his handling of the coronavirus. So I think more and more leading up to November, we're going to see Republicans like Marie coming out and really expressing their disdain for the president. Now, whether that shapes the election or whether that's large enough to turn the tide against uh, Trump, I think is left to be said. And we'll we'll just have to wait and see. We discussed, obviously, um, how Biden sort of fought his way to become the Democrats' uh, candidate and actually whether or not he's the future of that party or whether it's other uh, types of people like AOC or younger progressive. What I'm wondering is, where will the Republicans go after Trump? Let's suppose Trump loses uh, in November. Um, Where would people like Marie and indeed people, the Republicans who are behind the Lincoln ads and so on, um, where do you think they'll go next? Or have they simply not even got to that point yet? They're they're just trying to get rid of Trump. You know, I think before this pandemic, Trump was enjoying historic approval ratings uh, within the Republican Party. He still does have an extremely high approval rating uh, within the within the party. But when it comes to things like his handling of the coronavirus, I think only like 20 percent of Americans, according to the latest survey that I saw, um, think that he's doing a good job of handling the, the uh, outbreak. 
And a majority of Americans believe that uh, the former vice president, Joe Biden, would do a better job. So I think what we're seeing now is a real play, uh, a real battle of power within the Republican Party with folks like Liz Cheney, uh, the House GOP chairwoman, um, coming forward, expressing her disdain for for the president's uh, handling, expressing her support for folks like Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease expert. And so we're sort of watching in real time this this battle play out. Um, I think the Republicans are no longer as uh, confident that that Trump is going to lead the mantle and, and hold the mantle and, and continue leading the party into a victory in 2020. I think there are real concerns now within the GOP that this this uh, wave of support moving towards Biden for from former Republicans, from independents, and from you know Democrats who necessarily didn't didn't uh, support Hillary Clinton in 2016. I think that they're really concerned, and and so I don't know again whether this is going to mean that the Republican uh, Party after Trump becomes something like who knows Mitt Romney, who has kind of expressed support for, for Black Lives Matter and, and, you know, has kind of spoken out against the administration or whether it continues to, to take the, the face of Trump through, through folks like Matt Gates in the, in the House of uh, uh, Representatives, who is a Florida, very close ally to, to Trump and, you know, also has some, some support within his state and uh, within very right wing conservative circles. So I think it's really left to be said, and I think it all depends on what happens come November, whether Trump wins uh, or whether he's handed uh, a crushing blow and, and there is this democratic sort of tsunami that, that people are predicting. On that, we will have to talk about the polls. I mean, we're sort of once bitten, twice shy with polling after 2016 told us you know, that it was Clinton's hands down. And we've seen so many other polls here in the UK as well in our recent elections, which have been completely far out and yet people like us chris we keep coming back for more don't we (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean you know it's 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 this weird sick addiction that that the media has with with polls every single day it's like we're waiting to see you know how much further ahead is trump in this state or you know how much further is biden ahead and whereas we probably should have learned our lessons it's just the gift that keeps on giving i mean there's a new poll every single day and while I don't necessarily give them too much faith or confidence, I do think that polling is an interesting snapshot in time. And it allows you to kind of see where people are standing that very moment, that day. I don't know necessarily how much the polls we're seeing now will impact the, the actual election day. But what we're seeing is Biden pulling ahead in states like Texas. Granted, it's only by one point, but still what we're seeing is clearly that there is disapproval that is mounting against the the president and his administration, particularly, I think, in, in terms of things like the coronavirus pandemic, his handling of racial tensions that have broken out after the death of George Floyd. Um, and so it, it's interesting that Biden is, is actually managing to capture support, at least in these surveys and polls that we've seen in recent weeks in, in key states that could really determine uh, this next election. And there's a long way to go, but it does certainly seem like Trump is really up against it. Is this election a very different one because of coronavirus? Would this be easier for Trump had the pandemic not happened? You know, I think that what we would have seen if the pandemic was not happening is Trump taking these coronavirus briefings that he's been having on the road. Uh, He wouldn't be talking about the pandemic, obviously. He would be holding massive rallies. 
probably continuing to attack, you know, whoever the presumptive Democratic nominee was uh, as a socialist. So I think in some ways it's it's very different because the the candidates can't go out and kind of speak to the American voters the way that they could have uh, without a pandemic happening. That said, I don't think that much in Trump's playbook uh, has changed. Um, just the only difference is, is his surroundings and the environment. So whereas he was holding a massive rally and, and lashing out against uh, his apparent enemies and the presumptive Democratic nominee, he's now just doing that from uh, the, the podium of the White House. So whether that carries more weight, um, it, it, it most likely does to most voters. I think it also has folks like Marie tuning in who, who weren't necessarily engaged with politics in the first place. Uh, and I've spoken to to several voters for this project who have said that it's really been his handling of the coronavirus and seeing him on these daily briefings attacking enemies and and lashing out against the media and Democrats instead of really focusing on a national response to this disease that have led them to to sort of reject the president and his message. And finally, uh, Polarized is a great series. We're doing sort of one every week, um, just looking at the real people um, behind the polls, behind the stats, behind the figures, real Americans, um, who most people like myself outside of America are fascinated to know about, fascinated to hear what they think um, of the president, of the election. Um, and you guys are really taking a great lead on this. Uh, what else can we expect from the series coming up? Yeah. So, you know, uh, when we started this, we we wanted, um, since there's 52 weeks in a year, we really wanted to speak to at least one voter in every single state, as well as Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. And so we've spoken with Trump supporters, with Bernie Sanders supporters, and sort of everyone in between uh, to get a real sense of where Americans stand on not only the candidates, but some of the top issues that have arisen uh, under Trump. And so in looking ahead for the next few weeks, we're really hoping to cover the last of the states that we have, which is a real uh, journey in itself. And, and it takes a lot of uh, elbow grease to, to get that done and to find folks like Marie who are willing to chat with us. Um, but we want to continue speaking with folks from all different walks of life. Um, we're really interested in having these conversations with people who may not necessarily agree with with some of our readers on some of some of the top issues, because we want to highlight who they are as Americans and and make sure that everyone remembers that you know whether we completely disagree on things or whether we stand in solidarity on a lot of the same issues, we're we're still Americans and our voters our votes are still just as important no matter what. And so I think by pulling back the curtain on who voters really are. If this project can do that over the next few weeks, maybe we can lead to having a little bit more civility in our conversations and, and keep those discussions going ahead of the election. And so maybe a few more voters will be a little bit more informed. Uh, so that's that's the goal over the next few weeks. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got time for today. So my thanks to Chris Riotta. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And do keep across the Polarized series um, coming from the independent U.S., if you're a new listener to this Behind the Headlines podcast, then please subscribe. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen to your shows. And if there are stories you'd like to hear discussed on here, then please let us know. You can email behindtheheadlines at independent.co.uk. You can also support the show and original journalism at The Independent by signing up as a supporter. Details on that are in the description of this podcast. 
I'm Ben Kelly. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.